ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth. Let's gnaw on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Hi, my name is Scott, and I'm here with Pastor William Shiflett, and he's he's the only bearded bulldog I know who is a pastor, a pilot, <laughs> an author, a blogger, and a teacher. Is there anything I'm missing from quite, that list? Quite a, quite a list for a, a dog. <laughs> That's right, a bearded. Well, of course, you're a bulldog because you get a hold of that scripture and, and just... You won't let go. Hang on. Hang That's on. right. So let's, uh, Pastor, let's reason together okay. this morning. Let's do it. Um, we, of course, as as we've been doing for quite a while, we've been in the book, uh, The Christian Life by Sinclair Ferguson. If you have not bought that book, I would encourage you to get it. You can follow along with us uh, as we go. We talk about it. We don't read it to you or go into depth, but we take his ideas and talk about it between us two. So we are in chapter 15, which is crucifying sin. And pastor, in chapter 14, we spoke about the Christian's conflicts and for the most part concentrated on the conflicts without. Uh, in this chapter, we're going to concentrate on the conflicts within. Right, right. Um, first, let's take a look uh, at Christ. Uh, Dr. Ferguson quotes John 14, verse 30, which says, I will, and this is Christ speaking himself, I will no longer uh, talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But sadly, that verse doesn't really, it doesn't apply to Christians, does right. it? No. Um, Dr. Ferguson goes on, he says, there is still in the Christian a base of operations from which Satan is able to work. A quizzling. Now, I have to admit, I had to look that word up. <laughs> That's not in my vocabulary. So uh, it means traitor, of course. So there's a quizzling or a traitor of the heart. So, Pastor, the Bible teaches that Christians have died to sin, but has uh, sin died in the Christian? No. No, that's the that's one of the points he brings out so well, why it's the... the uh, the dangers from within, the perils from within, is we still have this sin nature. We have to uh, crucify, mortify, resist, oppose, pull down, and be on our guard against all the time. Uh, I, I thought he was very, his writing in this, well, his writing is always good. Let me be careful how to say that. But he really brought out some really good points along this line of, of how in our culture you look around, there's sin everywhere. It's abounding. It's in your face. Right. And... Um, and how that that plays on the inward man, you know, mm -hmm. it plays on the inward man. So we have to we have to be a, a conscious of that, right? Um, he goes on and he quotes First uh, John three nine. It says, "No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God." And of course, this I use the ESV translation. So when I read that, that sounded a little bit different than what I was used to in the King James. So I went back and looked at the King James, and it says that uh, no one born of God, uh, those born of God doesn't, doth not commit sin, or do do not commit sin. And uh, 
I went and checked the NASB. It says practice sin in the NASB. So which translation uh, would be more accurate for this verse when oh. we take it in context with script, other scriptures? Well, uh, I was just checking the New King James to see. Uh, his seed remains. He can't. He whoever's born of God does not sin. I'm trying to think of which version it is that says, I think, and I think it's the ESV, that says does not practice sin, which means that yeah. sin is not my my regular pursuit and just something I do. Now, mm-hmm. that is one of the most difficult passages, by the way, because a lot of people think it means we're perfect. That's not what it means. But on the other hand, you, you can see if we have... If we're honest about struggles in life, it would seem like we do sin. And what what John's driving at, and he, and he does this good, and Paul does it as well, is that yes, as as fallen human beings, we struggle, we fail in a myriad of ways. Mm-hmm. But we do, we are no longer driven and controlled by sin. Right. There's never a a pattern in my life where I say, well, I just can't help myself. This is just something I've got to do. Um, it's a, it, it is, when you sit down and think it through, it's very challenging, and it's broader than you and I can discuss in our little time. But the, the point is that we must be conscious of the danger that lurks within. Mm-hmm. You can never say, I'm, I'm okay, I got it made, I could, that'll never happen to me. Uh, famous last words, you know, all right. that'll never happen to me. I would never, I would never cheat on my wife. I would never do this. I would never get addicted to drugs. I would... And we hear stories mm-hmm. of Christian people who, in fact, do fall and stumble. And by the grace of God and the support of the church, they get up again. Right. But they do fall. And the reason they fall is because of the struggle inside. Right. Okay, with the sin that remains there until we receive that new body. Right. When we come across uh, verses like this, where it reads a little bit different, in one translation than it does in another. What should, uh, for the new Christian, what should they do about that? Should they go to their pastor to help get um, more information about it? Or what can they do on their own? Well, uh, hopefully you could go to your pastor and get a solid biblical explanation. One of the things that I think is very helpful is just become familiar with Scripture. Right. Because if you go to if you go to First uh, John chapter 2, my little children, I write these things so that you do not sin. But if you sin, we have an advocate. The, the, the goal is to live in a way where I'm not sinning. Mm-hmm. The reality is sometimes I fail. Okay, so when John, then in, in the same book, the next chapter, right. the same writer says that we don't practice sin. He means that it is no longer our goal to get up and live a life committed to sinfulness. There are, there are things that I, there are changes that the Holy Spirit is making in my heart. There are things I'm becoming aware of. There are commitments that I'm growing and beginning to make in my life. And that's the purpose, not to say that that uh, somehow, boy, if I don't get it right today, God's going to cast me aside. It means I'm in the process of battling the, in, in the, the, the war inside. And I like that phrase he used. He used it in chapter 14 as well, and if I can get it, because it's on the first page. Of, of chapter 15, I think, that comes from the Westminster Confession. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, where did he say that again? 
or maybe I maybe I re I reread chapter fourteen. I think it's over here actually. So let me go there. It is conf- the the Christian life involves a continual and irreconcilable war. Note that irreconcilable. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't come to terms of surrender. Okay, right. it, it's a battle until throughout this life till we die. Until we are released from the body at the resurrection and return of Christ, irreconcilable war. There are no peace terms with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that's again that that concept of even though I'm saved, even though I'm redeemed, even though my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, even though I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, there remains in me a struggle against the flesh. Right. I loved your answer about comparing translations when you say the best. Uh, way to interpret scripture is by scripture. Right. Uh, just read either a little further on or in, a, in another book, and scripture interprets itself, right. does it not? It does. It does. Uh, and that's one thing I, which I would I would challenge people. Some of the listeners know this. Others are not aware of some of the trends happening in the Christian church that just illustrate we don't know the scripture. Right. We must know the scripture, and and that means open the Bible, read, develop a reading habit, get a version of the Bible that you can understand clearly, mm-hmm. get yourself in a support group or accountability group mm-hmm. within your church uh, where you know you have the opportunity. I don't quite understand this, right? And and unpack that then. Mm-hmm. Well, this particular verse, 1 John 3, 9, it goes on. It says that he cannot keep on sinning because he is born of God. So does the scripture teach us that we we fight the battle from the position of victory rather than defeat? I I would say that we fight it from a position of victory in that we have the sense that we're going to win. Right. It's it's the the battle. You know the, that phrase. The battle belongs to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's true. He has paid the price. He has won the victory. But looking forward to that day mm-hmm. when I'm free of the body, uh, which w- is guaranteed because of what Christ did, that gives me the strength to get up when I when I fail, when I stumble. And of course, you know, I've said this many times, and I try to bring it out because I I want to be. I want to be compassionate towards people who struggle with sin. Right. I just want people to remember that when we talk about sin, a lot of times we think of big things. Mm-hmm. And and it can be something simple, it can be something small, it can be something uh, as I you know, as I've often said, where you feel contempt towards someone or something uh, that is inappropriate. Jesus talks about uh, being angry mm-hmm. uh, and and uh Without, this is tricky, but without justification, you're just in a constant state of anger. That's that is just as much sin in the eyes of God as any number of other things we can think of. Right. So we're talking about the human tendency to want to go our way rather than God's way. And even as Christians, we're all we're always going to fall. We're always going to to fall short. Right of what God intends for us. That's why we need Christ. That's why we need Christ, yes. Dr. Ferguson goes on and he quotes Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21, which reads, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, 
sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealous, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of, of God. So the, those are pretty strong They're very, uh, they're very strong. They're very strong. And you know what jumped out at me as you were reading there is that how quick we would be as Christians to point out sexual immorality and things, quote-unquote, outside the church. Mm -hmm. But he talks about division, mm -hmm. dissensions, rivalry, and those are things that if you're a Christian and you've been in a church any amount of time, mm -hmm. you know that kind of stuff happens. Exactly. Uh, and and we again, we have to guard against that happening. So it is a, it is a battle. This is what the fleshly life looks like. Mm -hmm. This is what the spiritual life looks like. Periodically, I should ask myself, which one of these lists am I exemplifying? Mm -hmm. and, and am I growing in this or, or, or floundering in that? Because if I'm floundering in the things of the flesh in this list, then it, it, it means that I'm not conscious. Doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. It means I'm not conscious of that battle. Mm -hmm. And this thing, I'm floating along and everything's going to be good. Mm -hmm. When he says uh, sins of the flesh or, or flesh in Scripture, not he, when I say he, I'm meaning Christ or uh, the Apostle Paul in Galatians. Does that mean our physical body? Well, the, 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 the actual Greek word means more of the sinful nature. Okay, okay. It, isn't, it isn't just the body. Uh, but the sinful nature. And let's see if we could have an illustration of that. So I can be blind and still struggle with lust. Mm -hmm. You see? Mm -hmm. So that means it's it's something beyond vision. Right. Uh, that's what, it's one of the things when you hear people talk about that passage of Scripture, which is a very valid passage, about lusting, looking at a woman and lusting after her. And all, and all the commentaries say this. This is not my opinion. All the commentaries say it's pointless to pluck out your eye because lust is in the heart. Not in the eye. So that, that shows the slight difference between the word for the body and the word for flesh. Mm -hmm. And the flesh tends to refer to the, the old carnal nature that we, we still have the, 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 uh, after effects, aftershocks, the residual of. We've been given new life. We're new creatures, but there's this struggle. And, uh, the, 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 the word the flesh refers to that human, carnal, sinful nature, right. not just what I do or don't do with the body. Right. When we take the, uh, these verses in Galatians in context with the rest of Scripture, uh, what does it tell us about someone that calls themselves a Christian but continues on in a sinful life? Well, we've said before, and it is important, to distinguish between a new Christian Mm -hmm. Someone who's just come to Christ, doesn't know what Christian living looks like. We want to give them time and opportunity. We want to teach them and disciple them. Right. But if you have someone that says, I gave my heart to Christ 30 years ago, and they're still living in a way that's totally contradictory to Scripture, we have to help that person see. Now, people go, oh, we're not supposed to judge. We are supposed to recognize right and wrong and call each other toward the right. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so... I see a brother or sister 
and, and, and they say, well, I've been saved for 40 years. But their life is characterized by things Paul say are indicative of the of fleshly living, of worldly living. Then I have to say, do you understand the scripture says we shouldn't do those things? And if you're a Christian, you claim to be a Christian, you should be turning away from those things, not continuing in them or turning toward them. Mm-hmm. And so for the new Christian, come and, and begin to walk in this new way. Uh, but but for the person who says I'm a Christian, and and they've been in that same position for their entire Christian life, I have to say I'm not sure they're a believer. Mm-hmm. How has your belief changed your life? Now either you were always a quote unquote you you were raised in the church and you never had the kind of contrast that some people have when they come to Christ. And a, a full awareness of uh, that, that's just, that's not lo- who I was, who I am anymore. Uh, you might have that kind of upbringing, but nevertheless, even if you had a church upbringing, you should be able to look at passages like the one Dr. Ferguson's speaking of and say, yeah, you know, my life doesn't look like that. Mm-hmm. Am I really a Christian? You know, am I really, and it's, it's such a, it's such a balancing act. Because you could fall into self-condemnation. You could write yourself off and say, well, I must not be a Christian because I struggle with this, this, and that. But the key there is struggle. Right. If you're struggling with it, that's a pretty good sign that you're on the right track. Yeah. Because a true sinner doesn't care. Right. I'm saved. I'm all right. I believe. I, it'll mm-hmm. be okay. And God will do something. He'll make a way. That kind of flippant indifference, I would argue, is an indicative of a person who's never truly put the faith in Christ. You're right. I agree 100%. We see a lot of people like that, unfortunately, even in the church. But when we see someone like this, that's living like this, what is the responsibility of uh, the church, the body of Christ, and does a pastor have a different responsibility? Well, okay. So first off, I would say the pastor's first, so there would be two kind of people. There'll be the kind that come to church right. and the kind that don't come to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pastor's responsibility to those that come to church is to bring forth regular, heavily seasoned with Scripture messages. Mm-hmm. This is one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of preaching through a book or preaching through a, a section like we've done with the uh, Sermon on the Mount, or the book of John in the past, the book of Hebrews. Because you're going to touch on every aspect of it. And you're able to bring it down. You're able to challenge people about that. So if it's in the church, uh, the pastor's responsibility is to speak messages that are going to challenge all of us in the way we're living. The second thing the pastor does there is equip the people in the pew Mm -hmm. to do the same kinds of things. Now, regarding the people outside the church... Uh, I would argue the pastor has the same role as any other person that is in their circle of friends or associates and people they know, they should be able or, or trying to say, you know, can you give me the scripture for that? Or when you hear them say something about, I believe this, well, can you show me that in the Bible? Can you show me where that's at? And that could hopefully spark a conversation with them where you're able to uh, plant some seeds, as we say. There is, uh, 
but we have to recognize that there is a, a bit of a, a disconnect, and that is this. That person must be confronted with the gospel. Are you a believer? Mm-hmm. If you say you are, tell me what is it you believe? What do you, what do you think that means? And unpack that. I, I'm convinced there's a ton of people in America today who, because of our Christian heritage and our Christian right. history, um, they think they're, they're Christians. Right. And they don't have a clue what that means. And therefore, they, they absolutely do not live any of the most basic concepts. So what I would have to do is try to provoke that person, develop a relationship, take them to lunch, uh, you know, and, and pray, of course, that God would open doors for us to talk about certain things and, and help them see. For, for example, Jesus says in John 12, 14, mm-hmm. he that believes in me will do what I did. If you love me, keep my commandments. Right. And you know what I've asked people in the past is, how many of the commandments can you break before you stop calling yourself a Christian? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about, you know, again, the idea that we fail, we stumble, we all make a failing mistake. But but here's, here's John Doe, who is not making any effort to do anything Christ says. How many of the commands can you break before you stop calling yourself a Christian? Now, people, I'll skip that. I won't tell you who it was so that I don't have to explain uh, about that person. But a noted evangelical leader in America said that there are 50 commands you cannot obey without being in church. 50 commands in the New Testament you can't obey without being part of a local church. Hmm. We know scads of people who never darken the door. Every one of them say they're a Christian. For that person, I would want to ask, how many commands can you break before you stop saying? And and I, I know you've, you've probably heard this, and I hope I don't ramble too much, but people say, well, I, I love the Lord. No, you don't. Because according to his definition, you will be engaged in trying to follow, right. pursue, obey, walk. In the light of the word. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing that, what you're doing is saying, well, Jesus is wrong. I love him. I love him. I just don't do the stuff you do. We've had people say that to us. Well, I believe in God. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't do it like you do it, but I believe in my own way. Mm-hmm. But we don't go by my way, your way. We go by Jesus' way. And Jesus' way is, mm-hmm. if you love me, you will do the things I'm telling you to do. Mm-hmm. And so just helping people see that, but that is um, uh, where we have to have relationships and we have to have the courage to speak into those relationships and not hatefully, not, not, uh, not overbearing, not feeling like every conversation has to end up with Jesus, mm-hmm. but, but looking for and praying for those opportunities where you can put in a thought or drop a question or make a statement or field a question from somebody Mm -hmm. to just help them see your, your idea of Christianity really doesn't really doesn't jive with the Bible. Right. And as we talked about before, if you love someone, you want to know more and more about them. You want to grow closer to them. Right. And obeying his commandments is just part of that. Right. Right. Um, 
If you could uh, look into the eyes of a young Christian that is struggling with sin, a young Christian who has come to a saving knowledge of Christ, and they're sure of that, and you're sure of that, what would, it, what would you tell them to do if they're struggling with sin? Well, uh, I guess it would, uh, son, I know you talked about that before, and I don't want to be yeah, redundant, right. but... Well, I, I would have to say with each each situation, I would probably be a little bit different depending on the sin. But the first thing I would say, if you're a true Christian, recognize that Christ has hold of you, and he's not going to let go. Amen. Okay. He's not going to let go. And, and, and Dr. Ferguson brought out a good point. Um, uh, he, he brings out a, a great point, and I, I didn't highlight it, so I probably, probably won't be able to find it, but maybe I'll try. Um, remember you are united to Christ. The old man is what we were by nature in union with Adam. The new man is what we have become in Christ by virtue of our union with him. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember that you are indissolubly united to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, 7, he says, in effect, that even when we sin, we do not separate ourselves from right. Christ. I think if you're a truly Christian, if you're really sincere about following the Lord, there's going to be this zeal to please him. We've already mentioned that. Mm -hmm. But if we're not careful, the zeal gets so strong that when we fail, we're just crushed by our failure. Right. Now, there is a place for for appropriate grief and repentance, mm -hmm. but if we're not careful, we will move over into a works salvation. Mm -hmm. I'm saved because I'm able to do this perfectly, mm -hmm. rather that I'm saved because Christ has died for me and he is transforming me. As I walk with him, as I fellowship with fellow un, uh, with other other believers, as I read my Bible, as I grow in grace, he will prune those areas of sin from my life. So don't get discouraged. That would be the biggest point I could make. Don't get discouraged. And I have to tell you, this is one of the things that really was a milestone in my life because I was saved in a church, very, very legalistic, uh, very works righteousness. Mm -hmm. You, you got, you got, I won't say I, it was true of me, but there were people who got saved every week. They came to the altar every week. I backslid this week. I lost my salvation. I need to get saved again. The pastor preached those kind of sermons mm -hmm. and it just took me years to come to that understanding. Christ has chosen to save me from eternity past. He never fails in what he seeks to do. I can rest in him for my salvation. Amen. And that assurance then feeds the desire to pursue him and do what's right and, 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 and so forth. That's, uh, that's absolutely ex excellent. I think we, as a background to what we're discussing today, we should remember that uh, as we go on. We're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. Right. It's a gift of God. Um, it's not because of anything we've done. It's because of what Christ has done for us. Right. Um, so well, we're going not, to be talking about sin a lot. Right. And there is sin in the life of Christians, and we should purge that right. sin. Right. But... 
He's got us. I, and, He's and, got you us. You know, He's I like going to let us go. I, that passage in Ephesians you just mentioned. It just occurred to me how Paul says, he says, you're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And then he says in verse 10, we are his workmanship created for good works. Right. But notice how that follows the salvation by grace. Mm-hmm. And that's a pattern in the Bible, by the way, people who aren't conscious of this. Uh, but he doesn't say we're his workmanship created for good works and then talk about being saved by grace. He starts with being saved by grace. Right. Saved by grace, which produces this. This does not produce the other. And this is something a lot of people miss because we talk about we're in the age of grace. Mm-hmm. And there are distinctions between the old covenant and the new covenant. We don't want to diminish that. But people fail to recognize that in the first covenant, in the Old Testament, it was an act of grace. God chose Abraham, who was a pagan idolater, mm-hmm. makes promises to him. God comes down to Egypt in fulfilling that promise, brings the children out of Egypt, mm-hmm. brings them into the wilderness, and then says, here's how I want you to live. Mm-hmm. The, the, the instruction about Christian living follows the redemption, right. the deliverance. Mm-hmm. And it's the same today. And, uh, uh, again, we don't want to get off too far with the distinctions, but the overarching theme is that salvation is always an act of grace. Right. Always. Mm-hmm. If you're saved, you were saved by grace. But now that I am saved, God has a purpose for saving me. And that means here's the path I want you to walk on. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to lead you. I'm going to lead you along that path. And if you don't, if you, I'm not going to let go of you. And the, we get, I get into the beauty of it sometimes. He's not going to let go of us. Right. You know, he's going to bring us through. It might feel like sometimes he's, he's let go of us, but he hadn't. Because right. he has a purpose and he never fails with his purpose. Right. And the appropriate response to God's determination is to yield, is to grow, is to recognize that's wrong. He says it's wrong. And now, Father, help me not to do that wrong anymore. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to go into that perseverance uh, of the saints or, or perseverance itself. We're going to go into that in the next chapter, right. I believe, yeah, in, I believe in detail. So. Yes. And that's it. That is very important. God has a plan and a purpose. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's not making it up day by day. Right. Um, and it's not going to fail. It's not going to fail. Amen. That is the most wonderful thing most liberating, if you really can get that, that God has made a plan and a decision, mm-hmm. he's not going to fail, then relax is the wrong word, okay? Mm-hmm. It is the wrong word. And yet there is a sense of rest in him. Rest in Rest him. in him. To be continued, we will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.